Welcome to One and Done TV. I am your co-host, Ian Hamilton. And I am his former correspondent, John Polking. And this is the podcast where we review television shows that were canceled after or during their first and only season. Isn't that right, John? That is correct. We are stepping out from behind the desk and we are exploring this great land of ours and its great people but also reviewing one-season TV shows, figuring out what they did, what they left behind, and ultimately what made them one and done. Today, we are talking about Klepper, the name of a person, uh, not, a, <laughs> not a character on a TV show, though he was at one point, but we'll get to that in a second. And before we get to any of that, let's talk a little bit about what we've been watching. Ian, what's going on? I think I'm continuing a conversation from a previous episode when I say that I watched Cocaine Bear. Oh, okay. I had a very stressful week and had an extra couple hours on my hands and some AMC gift cards to burn through. Mm -hmm. So I basically took our friend Robbie on a date. I was Uh like, Robbie, we're blowing it all. Ah, blowing. Uh, okay. Cause, cause cocaine, cocaine. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. And you know, he got the big popcorn with the big drink. Uh-huh. Well, actually I got the drink from the big popcorn combo Oh, okay. with the big drink and I got a bunch of crunch and between that and the tickets, my $50 worth of gift cards, it was not enough. Robbie had to throw down 73 cents oh. for the whole thing. I don't know if I mentioned I had a bunch of crunch, but I got those two. You did. You did. Okay. No. Well, it's an important part of the story. Well, it took it over the edge, too. Yeah. That is crucial (laughs) to the story. Without the bunch of crunch, you would have been safe, and Robbie could have put away his slightly less than three quarters. The audience would be like, wait a minute, where is this movie going? Mm -hmm. I get who you are, but I don't know what you're about. And what I'm about is bunch of crunch. Uh, But were you about Cocaine Bear? I wasn't. It was... (laughs) A good middle of the movie, really bad beginning and ending of the movie, and also a lot of gratuitous murdering of people that I, most of which I didn't think really deserved it, so I wasn't sure why I was exactly supposed to be excited about it. It was a weird movie, man. It was only fun in the middle and everything else I could leave. There were a few moments in it where characters made choices and... I truly did not understand where any of their motivation was coming from at all. Uh, There were multiple times where they could have shot the bear. They could have stabbed the bear. They could have done anything but get eaten by the bear. And yet that bear just kept on coming. I didn't get it, but I, I liked the kills. I thought the kills were more fun than you might have. And yeah, it was gratuitous. And I didn't need to see those people die in such gnarly ways, particularly Margot Martindale, even though she was probably the character that potentially most deserved it. But Oh, yeah, definitely. Oh, it was also weird that three of the main actors from the Americans were in that movie. Well, I think that the first main actor who was in the Americans was only there because he and Carrie Russell are together. Because oh. he is dispatched of within 
30 seconds of the opening of the movie. Yes, but I just thought it was funny that him, Carrie Russell, and Margot Martindale were all in it. And I was like, did Elizabeth Banks direct some of the Americans or something? Like, Or is this just a fun coincidence? She is an American, so there is a connection there. And I think a very strong one. The beginning cameo, I think, was just a... It was just fun. Relationship to Carrie mm-hmm. Russell, though. It was similar to... Did you hear about uh, Jason Ritter, Melanie Linsky's husband, was in Last of Us? Okay. He was one of the clickers. He was one of the zombies in like a background. They put him up in the makeup and gave him stunt training and stuff. And he was just on set with her that day. Yeah, right? I love stuff like that. And it brings me to my second point, which is also I watched Nobody, finally, the Bob Odenkirk one. Oh. And I actually didn't like it as much as I wanted to. I thought the story was not that great, but it did have a good payoff. Mm-hmm. I thought the third act was was strong. But up until that, it was another thing where I was like, why do I want this guy to murder these people in such bloody, violent ways? Like, I don't know. I just I thought it'd be kind of a stronger story. And there was even a scene early on where I was like, okay, so we're just going to light this really well and throw in some quote unquote cool lines and call it a day here. Like it just, it wasn't, it wasn't exactly what I wanted, but at least the ending was fun. It was the most brutal movie I think I've maybe ever seen. The just amount of ooh factor was Mm -hmm. through the roof. More than Cocaine Bear, even. Oh, yeah. Cocaine Bear was silly, bloody. Nobody was like, I wouldn't wish any of this on my worst enemy. Right. That's true. John, what have you been watching? Speaking of unsettling to watch, have you heard of Swarm? Oh, the Donald Glover show, right? Yeah. He He co-created it with one of the writers on Atlanta, Janine Neighbors, and it's essentially about a woman, your Deuce co-star Dominique Fishback. Oh. Yeah. Us Deucers. We're in a club together. You deuced it up and uh, she has her own show. And Wow. And you went, oh. Or was it Good whoa? For her. Good for her. Was your line oh or whoa? Whoa. Whoa. Uh, thank you. Was she the one I woed at? No, she was not. Oh, okay. I didn't think so. She was far away from your woe. But she plays a woman who is obsessed with a Beyonce-like singer and clearly mentally unstable and essentially becomes a serial killer. But it's even darker than the one-sentence description of that is. It's just further proof that Donald Glover and his collaborators just make the most interesting stuff consistently that is out there across pretty much any medium. My understanding is this is his first project as part of his overall deal with Amazon that he recently signed. Next up, I think is the Mr. and Mrs. Smith. It's gotta be thing. This is so out there and demented and compelling. The guest stars that they get are so interesting too. Like you have, Paris Jackson, Michael Jackson's daughter, and Billie Eilish, and but also some really like compelling ones too, like Kiersey Clemens. 
And there was one Chicago actor from Steppenwolf who I recognized, Karen Rodriguez. That made me very, very happy. You love to see it. I love to see it. I really, really love to see it. But man, this character is just one of those people that there is just nothing to their motivation, nothing that's going to like stop their motivation other than just killing anyone that gets in their way or says something bad about this singer that she's obsessed with. It chilled me. And I have not stopped thinking about it. And I finished it like three days ago. All right. This is a very disturbing preamble to our episode yeah. today. So let's talk about a comedy show because it's showtime. Five, four, three, two, one, showtime. In 2019, former Daily Show correspondent Jordan Klepper cleared a clause to clomp his claws and claim himself a king of a new classroom with Klepper. Still, Klepper's clappers were clammy to the new classification as Comedy Central claimed a clearance sale on Klepper after one eight-episode Cleason. I'm pretty sure that made sense, but I'm just going to assume it did. Like, grammatically, all of the words made sense, and it wasn't just a mindless series of K sounds. I'm, I'm pretty sure the sentence worked. Some of them were hard Cs. It's a K sound, John. Yeah, that's fair. K sounds are traditionally the funniest sound you can make well then i guess i just made the funniest sentence that ever was theoretically maybe i could have just scientifically not actually though words like cupcake like weird al's favorite food is kamquat or the funniest food multiple cuz sounds we don't get that many k sounds in the show klepper though which was hosted by jordan klepper he doesn't say his name klepper many times in the show. So when we decided we were going to do this show, I was like, oh yeah, I went to a taping of that with my ex-girlfriend. But then as I was watching it, I was like, wait a minute. I went to The Opposition with Jordan Klepper. Yes. Which was his show where it was like The Daily Show, basically. It seemed like he was trying to be the heir apparent to Stephen Colbert in many ways. And uh, this show is he's actually out and about Mm -hmm. talking to people and what was funny about it was it wasn't until episode five or six that he said this show is about activists and then i thought back on it and i was like oh yeah it is it is but that wasn't really stated going into it (laughs) no it seemed like it was a show that they were kind of figuring out what the tone of the overall show was going to be as they were filming it but just to rewind a little bit for those that aren't as familiar with uh jordan klepper He started off in Chicago around the time that you were doing stuff, I think. I think he moved to New York in the early 2010s. I think that makes sense because I was like summer of 2011 and then really jumped in summer of 2012. Okay. Because, yeah, I think he was at UCB in New York at that point. But he started on The Daily Show in 2014 and he really made a name for himself in like 2015, 2016, because he was going out to Trump rallies right as they were starting and interviewing people that were getting into that sort of Trumpy cult and asking them questions and sort of making them doubt the things that they were believing or just buying into blindly. And he really had his finger on the pulse of the whole 
Trump movement very early, so much so that the segment that he had on The Daily Show was called Jordan Fingers the Pulse. And that sort of evolved into him getting his own special in 2017. I think it was called Jordan Klepper Solves Guns. Yes. About gun control and gun activism and stuff, which seemed like kind of, in hindsight, a test case for this show. But after he did that and he left The Daily Show, they gave him the post-Daily Show time slot, which had previously been done by Larry Wilmore with The Nightly Show and then before that with Colbert. But it seemed like Comedy Central was really kind of struggling to find that spot, so much so that the opposition only ran for one season. I mean, it was like 120 episodes because it was a nightly show. But when I was doing research for this, they announced the cancellation of the opposition in conjunction with their announcement of this show, which they were saying was going to start production a few months after the opposition's cancellation in 2018 for a 2019 release of the show that at the time was tentatively called Klepper, and now we know was definitively called Klepper. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you can tell that Comedy Central really likes him, Yeah, even if he didn't quite get his own audience uh, off the ground the way that they probably wanted Colbert numbers and he never got that, but he's very good at talking to the opposition and also mimicking and mocking the opposition. But I've got to say better than um, like Klepper reminds me kind of, of Sarah Silverman's Hulu show. That was a 10 episode one and done show called I love you America. Yes. Mm -hmm. That's it. That show was something where she got Republicans and Democrats basically, uh, to come together on her show and try to relate to one another. Mm -hmm. And that show was really hard to watch. Oh yeah. Uh, I specifically don't want to do it for one and done. (laughs) Well, it was a two season show, so I don't think we could. Oh, is that true? I'm nearly positive. Yeah. Well, good because um, it was just a tough pill to swallow that show. And Klepper is, similar to it but i think he just does a better job i think sarah silverman's like a great comedian a great actress and she can definitely talk to people but this show does a better job at making a point i think yeah jordan klepper has ever since his brand really came into being in 2015 has always been really good at being confrontational and holding people to their stuff, but also being incredibly disarming in his delivery, which I think Mm -hmm. is one of the things that kind of has elevated him above other people that have tried to do this. And I think that's why he's been such a compelling asset for comedy central over the past eight, nine years in that way. Yeah. You could see why they'd want to hold on to him because in one way or another, because he's just really good at riding the line. And that is so much of their late night brand that why wouldn't you keep someone around who can do that? Even if individually he can't quite bring the numbers, you want to keep working with him because he does what you do. And I think this was a time for them to also really experiment with that slot. Because 
the nightly show, Larry Wilmore show. That was a nightly thing. And then the opposition was a nightly thing. And this, they were pivoting to a weekly format. So this was released only once a week. And they were just kind of filling the rest of it with office reruns, it seemed like. This is such a strange slot for Comedy Central. Or like this thing where, do you remember they gave David Spade his own weekly talk show? Yeah. For like a while, they gave him a couple seasons of that. I feel like it was canceled for a while, then came back. They did the President's Show for mm-hmm. a while after the Daily Show. That was, but that again was a weekly show. And then they would like release a couple episodes, take a couple months off, release a couple episodes. It it's so weird. You can just see how after Colbert left, and all of these shows aren't exactly after the Daily Show. But you can see how they take a comedian and they give them a weekly thing and then they make it for cheap and hope that it catches an audience. And if it doesn't, then they move on to the next person and try to make it happen again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they definitely seemed like with the opposition, they wanted to really recreate the Colbert formula because, as you mentioned, Klepper was putting on the sort of next generation of Colbert personality, whereas Colbert was kind of the Bill O'Reilly, Klepper was putting on the new Alex Jones and Mm. sort of the evolution of that with the opposition. But I was reading an interview with him where he was talking about sort of the formation of this show, Klepper, and he said, a big thing that we talked about was that we want to drop all the irony and the sarcasm. Let's look for authenticity out there. They wanted us to go to the gray areas, and it was a constant conversation. We knew what type of show we wanted. We didn't quite know how we were going to get there because once you start to strip away that stuff and you start doing a documentary, it feels less and less like a traditional Comedy Central show. The rhythms are different. The ebb and flow is different. So it seemed like they were kind of almost fighting this urge to hit that brand with the show, which, just to clarify, is very much a... 21 minute kind of extension of a daily show field piece if anybody has watched those except without these sort of more formal interviews it's jordan klepper going out there talking to at least in these first eight episodes activists of different types and just kind of riding shotgun with them and trying to find the humor there i wonder if the show conan without borders Mm. was like any influence on this or at least I don't know exactly what those are I know those were like field segments that Conan did basically as an excuse to go out but then they eventually packaged them as Conan without borders and you know put them on streaming services and I wonder if that had any influence on this because it does give me a bit of that vibe only more serious yeah and I think that's a big sort of tonal thing for this show compared to others like it and even other types of segments that Jordan Klepper had done before. Whereas Jordan Klepper's kind of more famous daily show segments have been him poking holes in ideologies that you could tell he fundamentally disagrees with. Klepper is him kind of using his voice and his platform to put a more entertaining spin on stuff for the most part, that you could really sense that he gets behind. So it's more supportive than 
incisive. And I think this is a great jumping off point to get to a commercial break so that afterwards we can talk about highlights. And now a word from our sponsors. Hi, this is Ian, and I'm trying to do this commercial as quickly as possible. Please review and rate us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Hive Social at One and Done TV. Email us oneanddonepod at gmail.com with any suggestions or thoughts. If you haven't hit the skip forward 15 seconds button yet, I will be amazed. Okay, enjoy the show. Highlight. John, I just want to continue our conversation by saying episode two of Klepper is an episode where he goes to the bayou to follow these activists that are fighting uh, an oil pipeline, Mm -hmm. right? Basically the tail end of the Dakota Access Pipeline is what they say. Which the listener probably heard about in the news Uh, several years ago because it was a big deal. Mm -hmm. And so he goes there to meet with some activists that are like basically very protective of their identities and have been harassed a lot by the security from the oil companies and they've all been arrested and they all try to do kind of radical environmental activism like chaining their necks to the fence of the CEO of the company, Mm -hmm. you know, stuff like that, or going to the actual job sites and, you know, probably chaining their necks to something else. Yeah. Stuff like that. Lots of neck chaining. What was fascinating about this episode was he embeds himself in their group and he makes some jokes that they mostly are like, okay, we get that this is a comedy, but we're very serious about this, and this is a very serious situation because what they're doing here is giving the locals cancer and stuff like that. And it was fascinating to me after the first episode was a lot of fun. The second episode was, there was very little comedy in it, and yet it was very compelling. Yeah, because you get the immediate sense of, danger too that these people put themselves in constantly one of the things that he was talking about as he was promoting the show was you can only do so much going behind a desk and you know it's nice to be able to put on an activist hat for a little bit but what he really wanted to do was showcase that these people are out here all the time and this is all they are doing is fighting for these causes and those people in the bayou that are going out at 4 a.m on the a rinky dink speedboat thing that he's on and it capsizes while they are going out to their protest that he is attempting to film and they get stranded out there whether they meant to or not the police boat made circles and big waves around the boat and near the boat and sank and capsized the boat that Klepper was on so then they end up getting kind of stranded in the swamp for a while yeah, so there are some kind of thriller components to the show. And it's not the only time that he puts himself in danger. One of the most compelling episodes for me was the episode where he went to what they called like an underground university because 
in Georgia, undocumented immigrants aren't allowed to attend some of the state's biggest colleges. And so therefore, there are professors that volunteer at this school where they are essentially teaching college-level courses to undocumented immigrants. And the dreamers and people that are trying to fight for their right to have this kind of education can't necessarily go in front of a board of regents and protest because they are basically so afraid to even drive and potentially get pulled over and arrested and deported in that way that he, along with a few other local allies, do this thing where they go to a board of regents meeting and they refuse to leave and they're doing it in support of these students or these people who want to be students. And he actually gets arrested in Georgia and the mugshot was actually the poster for the show too. Right. What was crazy about that was I've seen that poster of the mugshot many times, just like as me and you do just going through IMDb searching, you know, movies and TV shows and nonsense uh, as we spend our hours day after day, week after week, month after month. Are you going through something right now, Ian, as you're saying uh, that sentence? Sorry, sorry. I'll get back on track. You just seemed like you were going through an existential crisis as you were (laughs) working through those words. John, we have watched so much TV in the last year. (laughs) Um, But I've seen that poster many times and just assumed it was a poster. But no, he actually got arrested and it was... One of like three episodes in a row where you're like, oh, he he might get arrested here. You know, like this, something might actually happen. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, going back to the swamp episode, when they were stranded there, they're like, you're seeing what the fragility of life in the swamp has. You never know what's going to happen. And it happens pretty suddenly. You're just at the mercy of the swamp herself and seeing what she wants. Say turtle soup. Turtle soup. Thank you. Ah, that is a Swamp Thing episode callback. If anyone wants to go listen to our Swamp Thing episode. <laughs> uh, but actually, the the activists in the swamp were quite nice and yes. didn't talk like that at all. No, not even a little bit. The Let's talk about the first episode really quick. Mm-hmm. The PTSD wrestling therapy, I guess you could call it. This one is the thing that I think is most closely aligned to a traditional daily show piece because it involves him interviewing these war veterans who have turned to wrestling as a way to deal with their PTSD. Essentially, they get into the more serious side of things too, like that they can't go to the VA because the VA just pumps them full of pills and puts red tape around them. And so they just find this outlet. But There's also plenty of moments of levity, including, you know, talking to these very serious vets who are going through a lot of mental health issues that are very immediate. And these guys are in full like Lucha Libre makeup almost. Yeah. He says that one of them is a juggalo who loves Sephora. That's how he (laughs) describes his makeup. And it was fascinating to have them tell us why it helps them with their PTSD or anything that they're struggling with, like the creating the story for their characters, for their 
WWE style, you know, wrestling characters mm-hmm. uh, just kind of helps them escape their everyday lives and problems. And then also one of them was talking about the adrenaline of wrestling yeah. is just such a great rush for him. Like he just craves adrenaline and that, you know, really helps him escape. And that's a big part of it, which was really interesting to me. Yeah. And it's not the only episode where he deals with uh, veterans affairs, too. I mean, he I think one of the first lines of that first episode and of the show that kind of sets the tone is America has a hard time saying thank you to veterans. You know, it's this idea of thank you for your service. But what does that actually mean? He deals with it in this wrestling PTSD episode. And then he deals with it a couple episodes later where he talks about veterans who have been deported and people who have essentially committed some crime usually, uh, but instead of going through a trial and having served their time, go back out into the society that they have helped to protect, they get shipped away to countries that they have not been to for generations sometimes or sometimes ever. Uh, Well, I think it's, Decades, because I think they were immigrants that joined the army. And a lot of the ones he talked to were like Vietnam vets who then, you know, got booked on some crime that they were like, yeah, that's not really what happened, but there isn't a fair trial process really. So they just said I assaulted someone and then shipped me to Mexico where I haven't been for 40 years. After being in a U.S. prison for over a year before that, too, without a trial. Right. But the good news was that they can come back to America when they're dead. Yeah. Because post-mortem, they're repatriatized. Oh, God. At least there's a silver lining here. Let's remember that this is a comedy show, too. There are jokes. <laughs> it's like what you said earlier about what he does best is he poked holes in the logic of this really well by trying to do the math of what makes an American citizen. And uh, they have different iterations of it that I did not write down. But, yeah, um, it's like immigration plus veteran status could equal U.S. citizen, but not if you add crime. In that case, you are not a citizen. And it's this idea of- Unless you add death, then you are a citizen. citizen. (laughs) Yes. And he does a really good job at humanizing a lot of these things that people in opposition to these issues tend to paint with very broad brushes. Like, he does talk to people that are for the deportation of veterans if they have not gained U.S. citizenship. Which is crazy because some of them talked about that when they signed up for the army, they were told that they would get citizenship. Yeah. And they didn't even know all these years later that there was just some legal loophole or somebody messed up some paperwork. Yeah. And it happened to them so long ago that they didn't even know. It's a thing to potentially fast track everything at least that's what they're told and i'm sure that's probably a recruitment tactic too right but then he talks about how if you pay 500 grand to a ski resort in colorado there are these laws where basically you can get uh your patriotization we know words yeah let's go with patriotization i think that's that sounds right you just said it i think 
technically there are enough, you know, isms on there that it is correct. True. You just throw a noun and an ism or an ization on there. And congratulations, bud. You've done words and you done right. did them good. And speaking of done did them good, these people that pay $500,000 to become citizens very quickly sometimes have very sketchy criminal records, but it doesn't matter because citizenship equals uh, money minus criminal record in that case. True. Um, We do the math and the words. And then we got to talk about the episode where he was like, oh, this was the show where he finally said this is a show about activism. And it's episode six. And he's like, who are some of the most successful activists, gun control activists Mm -hmm. who, you know, want uh, basically less regulations on gun control. Right. So it gives him an opportunity to do some of what he does best, which is to talk to people he really disagrees with. And one of the crazy things is this show was filmed in 2019 where these gun activists are trying to get this law passed where you can walk around Texas with a gun and you don't need to have a license for it. And since then, that law has been passed. Yeah. I was going to ask about that because the episode takes place, I think, in Houston and Dallas, too. So kind of right in your backyard. I mean, how did you feel watching that episode? I mean, I know that Austin is not the rest of Texas. I'm just curious. You are closer to that than I am. So I'm just curious how you felt watching that episode. It it just felt prescient to me. Is that the word? Like he was on the pulse of things that eventually happened or were eventually important multiple times. Like in one episode, he interviews Brian Kelly, who I believe is now a senator for Arizona. Highlight. Okay, so we just looked it up. I was wrong. It's his brother, Mark Kelly, that's the senator. <laughs> but they're both astronauts, okay? And they're twin brothers. So give me a break. I thought you were going to say a different word that started with ass, but, uh, you know, astronauts works too. Oh, I see. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so he, but he's had his finger on the pulse with a couple things that while I was watching it, they ended up being more important later. And it was very telling i think of the series absolutely that episode was where i was like oh dude you are in your wheelhouse you are asking the questions that you've been asking for years at that point and it really felt like the sort of peak of klepper's brand per se and how it can be sort of stretched out into a longer format not to say that I don't think that the rest of the show didn't work. I'm just saying that there's something about the way that he can let people let their guard down that he so clearly disagrees with is really fascinating to watch, both just from a comedy fan's perspective and from like just human psychology. (laughs) Yeah, like you said, this show really drops the sarcasm of what you would expect from a daily show correspondent or someone who's trying to maybe get a rise out of someone and just, you know, create some clickbait or something like yeah. that. He doesn't do that, which may be why the show was canceled. I don't know. You'll <laughs> tell me later. The mission of the show does seem to be 
empathy and understanding at just like its most fundamental level. And you see that with like two of the other episodes. There's one about Native American representation and there's another one too, kind of on the more technological side, the Mars episode where he talks about sort of the next evolution of the space race. And I thought those were kind of two different understandings of empathy. Obviously the Native American representation one He is literally like passing the camera off to some Native American artists in order for their point to be heard so that it's not a white guy telling a Native American story for the millionth time that has happened since the start of media. But then there's also the Mars side of things, which is kind of a different side of that coin. I thought that was a really cool interview that he had with one of those Houston astronauts where... This guy's talking about what it's like to see the Earth from outer space and the perspective that you have on the world. He thinks that getting more people into space will create more genuinely empathetic human beings because you get to just truly see your surroundings from a different lens. And I just thought that was a really cool way to spread that message in a way that didn't feel preachy either. Eh, maybe a little yeah. preachy, but you know. Well, he does a good job of, or at least the show does a good job of showing that issues are complicated and that clearly there's a point of view where he says what's right and what's wrong, mm-hmm. but he does do a good job of kind of showing why what's right might be a little bit more complicated and a little harder to gain Mm -hmm. and what's wrong is a bit more complicated. And also you see why that side of things are winning. Yeah. You know, and there's just a bit of like, there's empathy, but there's also understanding. Yes. And he's in this interesting position too, as the host where you could tell that he is working through almost his own ignorances or blind spots. I mean, at one point he says he's motivated by his own ignorance too, in order to just learn more. And there's that native American representation episode where he kind of sees the role that he is playing in elevating these stories and wants to take that step back, but also has this recognition that, with his status, he can elevate the stories, but is that just another form of appropriation? What does that mean for the future of truly unique and special stories being told on a higher level? Just what is his role? And sometimes his role is just to back the hell up too. Right. It's like, complicated because he has status so he wants to elevate other people's stories but it should not be told just through his you know white man lens basically he does a really good job of being like i have a microphone basically i want to elevate your story but even in elevating your story there's a bit of appropriating like i as a white man am profiting now off of listening to your story of pain, Mm -hmm. right? And suffering. And so 
how can I elevate you without just reaping the benefits of your story and moving on? And they talk a lot about how there should just be more visibility mm-hmm. with Native American culture and modern Native American culture in media. That's a big part of it. Like everything that we grew up seeing was like cowboys and Indians, right? And yeah. headdresses and whatever. And they're like, no, you know, we're all, we're, we're living on reservations or we're living, you know, in the United States proper. And we have cell phones and we're living in houses and trailers and we have Wi-Fi. Mm-hmm. You know, this is Native American representation. Okay. It's not just going back and watching, looking at how we lived before white settlers were here. You know, and I, I thought that hearing that was interesting and a little bit mind opening to myself. Yeah. And speaking of kind of having your finger on the pulse too, during that episode, one of the people that he's interviewing when they're talking about the cool art that native artists are doing, they make a reference to uh, Sterling Harjo who is the guy that ended up going on to create Reservation Dogs, which is now mm. a huge hit for FX, too. So, And that was two years before that show and him were elevated to that sort of next level. Yes. I was thinking of Reservation Dogs as well when they were talking about it. I'm like, oh, I, I know one show out of thousands and thousands of shows. Yeah. There's one show. I feel like I learned something in all of these episodes, something that I had not thought about, some perspective that I didn't have, something that I hadn't potentially considered, even in these sort of bigger topics like PTSD or weed, or which is the last episode where he's going into California talking about sort of how difficult it is for people to set up legal weed businesses and the underground trade that is still happening and kind of eating away at the revenue that is coming in from people who are trying to do it differently than they used to. Sure, John, you learned something, but did you enjoy it? Find out after this commercial break and we'll talk about whether we would renew or not. And now a word from our sponsors. Well, John, you loved his antics on The Daily Show. You loved his documentary about guns. Uh, I actually don't know if you loved either of those things. But more importantly, did you love Klepper? Would you renew? I would renew though i think that this show isn't that funny (laughs) it is on comedy (laughs) central there were some laughs to be had i did enjoy myself there were long stretches of this where i was like oh i'm not laughing but i was really compelled by it consistently and It was really cool to see him bring such sincerity to this project. I am a huge fan of people sort of 
peeling back those layers and breaking things down and bringing themselves to projects. And you could just tell with everything that he was doing that he was passionate about what he was talking about. And especially as I was reading interviews kind of before the show started airing, you could just see that he was really excited to tell these stories and get back out in the field and put his own stamp on this. I am sure the opposition was a fun show to do for 120 whatever episodes, but that putting on that persona has got to be exhausting. And you could just sort of see him shining through in these kinds of pieces, talking to people and really elevating people that he actually wanted to hear from as opposed to people who were just regurgitating nonsense like he had done before and I guess has really done since. So it felt like this kind of weird peek behind the curtain into a true passion project for somebody who is given those resources by an entity that does support him. And I think that really carried me through some of the potentially slower parts of the show was just his enthusiasm, what he was able to bring to that conversation. Yeah, it's a very different kind of show where he highlights what he wants to highlight as opposed to taking it to the people he disagrees with and making them look like idiots or, you know, being a Colbert type character and Mm -hmm. inflating that like type of thing. You know, yeah. a little more positive this way. A little more positive, exactly. And I think that there is a lot, especially like when you think about 2019, there's a lot to be cynical about. A lot. And I felt that it was trying something different and I appreciated it and I learned. And those are the kinds of documentaries that I like in general are the ones that bring about stories that I wouldn't have necessarily considered. So for that, I appreciated it and I enjoyed it. How about you, Chuckles? Would you renew? I would renew, John. I would emphatically renew. And here's why. This show was not um, a typical comedian doing politics show to me. It was more like eight good documentaries with some humor Mm. in it. Like he knew when to crack a joke and he knew when to shut up. And, you know, some of these situations were like, this isn't funny. Stop joking. And he knew that. And I appreciated that, you know? Yeah. And I think that's just a really key skill that he has as a performer. I, you could tell that he has an improv background. You could tell that he is a great listener. Absolutely. And also, I should say that I actually have a real aversion these days to comedy politic shows, basically. Mm-hmm. Like, I think John Oliver's great, but I really don't watch it anymore. You know, I think that there is a bit of an issue of everybody getting their politics and learning what to be outraged about from comedians. I think that we need to steer a little bit more towards people who actually are involved in the issues and know what they're talking about Mm -hmm. in depth as opposed to someone that can 
not, not to say a lot of shows have a lot of great journalists, and a lot of great writers and researchers and everything like that. But it just feels like I know people that pretty much only get uh, their opinions from comedians, uh, be it right or left. Mm-hmm. You know what podcast I'm talking about. <laughs> um, and I have a big issue with that. And so I have a real aversion to these shows. I choose them carefully. And what I liked about this was he hosted people that just had something to say and told you why they were saying it. And he showcased them and he just added in a little bit of flavor to it. Mm -hmm. Really. You know, it wasn't, it just, it felt different. It wasn't the daily show and it wasn't John Oliver and it wasn't Joe Rogan. It was a documentary with some humor and also, it moved really quickly. These episodes flew by for me, mm-hmm. which is very strange considering the subject matter to me. Like, usually I feel a need to like sit down and like ingest it and like understand it. And I feel like I did ingest it and understand it, but I did it easily. Oh, here. yeah. I took so few notes watching this show. So me too. Few. Yeah. I maybe like half a page. Whereas normally it would be like 10. It was so crystal clear and so memorable too. the imagery and the stories that he was presenting with these episodes. Mm -hmm. And it, it was good. It was just good. And was it good? Really weird that comedy central had this right. Right. I mean, it doesn't fit in. It was him. Like, it was clearly they believed in him. I mean, the fact that, again, they announced this show in the same breath as them canceling his past show, that is such a freaking boat of confidence that I can't think of anything comparable to that. I can't. There must have been some analytics that they followed that said that people like him when he's out and about and yeah. oh, I'm more sure. than they like him behind a desk. That's got to be know? part of it too. And I think he did. Never mind. I think that's got to be part of it. Yeah. Because that's the stuff that was generating the views. Again, that's his brand and they were able to kind of sell that idea on it. So I, I'm glad we agree. It's nice to agree, right? Absolutely. And we can both agree that it's time for some Dunzo Awards. That's right. Time for the Dunzo Awards. These are the superlatives that we give out to every show that we watch. It could be in the news. It could be the voice inside your head that is telling you to kill, kill, kill. Whatever it is, we have decided to give these shows their just desserts. Each of us get two awards to give out to whatever the heck we feel like it. Ian, what is your first Dunzo Award? Mine is the Fragility Award, which goes to him breaking his foot again because he stood for too long. <laughs> and it was really funny to watch him talk to these tough guys, these wrestlers, these you know vets, and... Uh, he's like concerned about being injured while he learns how to wrestle from them. And 
He's like, uh, just so you know, like, uh, I have a bad foot. So we're about to do all these things. And uh, I one time broke my foot. And then three months later, I was at a bar and I cracked it because I stood for too long at that bar. <laughs> so I re-cracked it. And uh, I've been there, you know. I have yeah. a lot of weird, fragile injuries in my history the last, like, five years. And uh, you know what? You know what I have to say out there, people? Physical therapy is important. If you have an injury, don't just be like, eh, it feels fine after a week. It's not fine. It's going to get worse. You are in your 30s. You're an adult, damn it. Take care of yourself. I didn't realize this is where we got political. Are you saying that you're pro physical <laughs> therapy? I am. Oh, yeah. And you know what? If we want to get real political, I'm pro chiropractors as well. What? What? You don't know that that's like, that's, you know. And actually, people, I just, uh, yeah, I, I'm on the other side of that issue. I don't go to chiropractors. Oh, no, I didn't either. But like, I can see how it helps. Mm-hmm. I can't. You know, it's a. When you are running out of resorts, then, you know, try a chiropractor too. Why yeah. not? It when should you've be tried, the first resort. Yeah. When you've tried the Marriott, when you've tried the Hyatt Regency, when you've tried the Ramada Inn, you know, go to another resort. Try a Ritz-Carlton for once in your life. Go to a Ritz-Carlton and go to the ballroom because that's where they are hosting the dunzo awards john what's your first one that was a long stage that was a long trek to get back to the exact same place that we started yeah (laughs) yeah my first dunzo award is uh the best supporting correspondent award and that i'm going to give to kobe who i believe is another writer on the show. I think he is also on the daily show as well. The guns episode has Jordan sort of following the open carry Texas people who are walking around at parades, handing out pamphlets saying, look at me, I can carry an AR 15 with no license. Please give me the rights that I want. Please. Oh, please. So that's Jordan's side of the story. But Kobe is in a different part of Texas following a group called Guerrilla Mainframe, who's a group of black activists that do a similar sort of open carry thing, but they do it as a protest against police brutality. Basically, you know, they are black men and women who are carrying big automatic weapons and essentially as a statement to say... The statement is that if a militia of white men, you know, strapped with... Uh, body armor and machine guns should be you, uh, you know, showing off your freedom for the Second Amendment. Why is it that when a group of black men do it, it's weird to you? Yeah, it's threatening or something in that way. So it is a great statement. Kobe does a really good job at covering the story. He also gave me at least what I think was the funniest line in the entire eight episodes Because they do this, the guerrilla mainframe group does this protest outside of the Oklahoma-Texas football game to get sort of the most coverage. And Kobe walks up to one of the police officers that's just kind of, you know, quote unquote, keeping the peace. 
And he's like, oh, I'm just filming these guys uh, and their protest. Is it cool? And they're like, oh, you know, we're just trying to make sure that nothing gets out of hand. He's like, okay, okay. And Kobe just offhandedly to the cop is like, hey, who do you think is going to win? And the cop says something to the effect of, oh, well, Texas is already up, so I'm thinking it's looking pretty good for us. And then Kobe just goes, I mean in the impending race war. Which was such a great line, and it was delivered with such confidence and smugness, and I just full-on belly laughed like I hadn't in any other part of the show. I actually don't think it was delivered with smugness. I think there was a fake. You're right like a fake genuine question kind of in there, you know, like, no, I mean, in the impending race war, not like I mean, in the impending race war. Um, True. Honestly, that moment was a lightning rod for sure, but I actually was not crazy about it. I was like, it didn't feel like it really fit in with the rest of the show, but it does stick out. Yeah. I full on guffawed. Ian, what is your second Dunzo Award? I'll give out the Make America Great Again with an asterisk award to the moment he's walking around with a MAGA hat that has an asterisk on it and a shirt that has a lot of writing on it, a lot of text, and is like, I agree with President Trump that we need to do more space exploration as a nation. And then under it, it's like, I disagree with his policies about race, immigration, like pretty much everything. But he's walking around getting all of these bad looks, you know, for wearing it. I just love this one guy comes up to him and is kind of like getting in his face about it. He's like, no, 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 it's with an asterisk. See, like read all the rest of the text. You need to know like the context of why I'm saying this. It's because I appreciate his stance on going into space, not everything else. And then this woman walks by and she's like, oh, you know what you're doing. And just like (laughs) puts her hand up and keeps on walking. Like she does not have time for whatever that is. Uh, And I just really liked that moment. That segment was funny to me. Yeah, I felt like that moment was one of the more produced parts of it. And it's funny that you didn't like the moment that I just brought up because I didn't like the moment that you just brought up there, mister. I think it's a little bit funnier conceptually than it is how it actually happened. Really, I was getting to the point that the, the woman was not having any of it and just kept walking. That was the part I really liked about it. I I agree with that. I thought that was the best part of that part of things. And yeah, we haven't really touched much on the space exploration episode, but there were some really interesting points being brought up there, especially the idea of how China is kind of beating the U.S. in the space race because of a consistency of administrations. And he did kind of a fun sketch idea too to sort of illustrate that where He's talking about how different administrations would want different objectives from a space program. And so he illustrates that by like being at a bar. He's like, I want a Mai Tai. And then the bartender makes him a Mai Tai. Actually, I want a vodka soda. Actually, I want a beer. Actually, I want this. And when you have all of these different changing orders, you don't really get anything that you want at all. And so that I thought was a compelling way to say that point. Right. The fact that if you have plans as NASA, a 15 to 20 year plan, but the person that is 
giving out the money changes every two, four, six, and eight years, then it's really hard to stick to any 20-year plans because everything is constantly changing on you. And I'm sure when it comes to space, two years is not a lot of time to get anything done. No. Technology moves quickly and needs to move with a lot of collaboration and empathy. And audiences move slowly, right, John? So we'll take a quick commercial break and talk after about I why give my Clapper second Dunzo canceled. After I give my second Dunzo, you prick. you fucking prick. Is that the maybe the twentieth time that you've done this to me? Is it? Leave this in. Leave this in. The people need to know what you do. The people need to finally understand that your decides to gaslight me into thinking that I've already said my second Dunzo, but no, no. The problem is, John, my second Dunzos are always so good that they prompt conversation out of us, and then I think that we're running out of time, so I try to move on, and then, oh, right, you've got your second Dunzo, the lesser of the four to get to. So why don't you just go ahead, John, you better shoot your shot, and you better shoot it right. My second Dunzo is the Lick My S*** Ian Award, and I give huh. that to you. <laughs> bleep my, scrotum. But my second Dunzo, my second Dunzo Award is the Retrospective Misappropriation Award, and we'll give that to Jordan when he is in the Native American episodes talking about how he was a member of the Indian guides. And that was a particularly cringe moment of reflection as he was talking about wearing headdresses and appropriating Native American culture in order to earn some badges because the Boy Scouts were full or something like that. And I feel like it was a just an interesting conversation to have about like, why did he feel the need to do that? And he was, he made some joke about, I think, well, when I'm looking at the history of my culture, it's mostly about white supremacy and enslavement of indigenous peoples. So that's not as fun to do a campfire song about or something to that effect. So it was a, it was an interesting moment of reflection that but then I'm glad he included. The person he was, telling this to was pretty interested in being like, you know, like asking him questions about his experience in this group and what it meant to him as a kid, like the nostalgia factor of it. And I thought that they had a pretty good conversation about like, it's complicated because clearly this sucks, but there is a very strong emotional connection to my dad and this group. Mm -hmm. That is, you know, problematic. So how can I still like enjoy the time that I had in this group while also fully recognizing how messed up it is that I was a part of this group? Exactly. Really interesting conversation there. But speaking of interesting conversations, John, why don't we take a quick commercial break and talk about why this show was canceled? What about my third Dunzo? And now a word from our sponsors. Hey everyone, it's Ian again, and I'm going to do something that I don't think you're used to your podcast hosts doing, but 
I'm going to lecture you, okay? Because I see you out there. I know where you are. I know what you're doing. Well, you're listening to a podcast, but you're out there in Nottingham. You're out there in Cleveland. You're out there in Boston. You're out there in Finland. You're out there in Israel. You're out there in the Azores. And you're out there in some places in Lithuania I can't pronounce. And all over America. And guess what you're not doing? You're not reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. I mean, giving us a review on Spotify and everything else is great, but let's be honest here. I need you to review this on Apple Podcasts. That is, of course, unless you don't like it. Okay, back to the show. The first episode of Klepper aired on May 9th of 2019. Eight episodes aired in about seven weeks, actually, because the Deported Vets episode aired on Memorial Day of uh, during that time. But the last episode aired on June 20th of 2019. Ian. We have always been able to find some reason why these shows were canceled. Could be low ratings. It could be cast infighting or contracts being up or any of those things. I Googled so hard and I couldn't find anything. Anything. Did you listen to podcasts with really bad audio? I that. He was an interviewee on, and you would really have to listen to like two hours of a bad podcast to get 10 moments of truth out of it, because that's what I do sometimes, John. I tried, man, and I couldn't find Jack. It was tough. I was got a lot of articles about the opposition being canceled, but not Klepper. It seemed like one of those things where they gave it an eight-episode sort of test run during the summer months. And by the end of 2019, he just kind of quietly rejoined the daily show. There was no big announcement. There was no real fanfare or anything. I think this is just one of those cases where comedy central truly has no clue what to do with that time slot. Like we alluded to it before, but they just don't have a strategy. And so this eight-episode block was like, oh, we'll see how this goes. But when you look at this show and you compare it to other potential things that they tried to fill this time slot with, it looks so much more expensive than anything else that they could do. I was about to bring that up because, like, Comedy Central cancels shows like Madonna reinvents herself. Frequently. All the time. And without reason. Exactly. They probably have the most one-and-done TV shows out of any network. I'm sure there's like some sort of per capita, you know, research that we could hire some nerd to do. We could. There are plenty of nerds out there that would be willing to do our bidding after we put their head in a toilet for a little bit and flushed it a couple times. But what we have currently is some speculation and... Yeah, it just seems like they were putting a lot of effort and money and resources into producing these, and I'm sure they didn't get enough return on that investment. I think another thing that they might have had working against them 
is that year between Jordan Klepper ending one show and starting the next. When you have somebody who you believe in, but whose identity rests a lot on sort of frequent pop-ups in other things, it's tough to really sort of maintain that momentum once you lose it after that year. I mean, when you have somebody who's on TV literally every day and then they aren't, and then they're off going across a bunch of different states filming things that people aren't constantly thinking about, the only thing that you could really do to kind of stay in the media cycle is to get arrested, which he did, and they still canceled it. <laughs> That's true. Um, yeah, I have to think that the show probably had a decent like legal budget to it oh, compared yeah. to other shows. Um I just know that Comedy Central in general is really cheap. I mean, that's why they have so many talk shows. It's because that's one of the cheapest things you can do yeah. in television. There's one stage. It's always the same people in the same setup. You can just rinse and repeat constantly. I mean, they cancel stuff all the time. Nothing there ever lasts. And if anyone is smart, they move on or they create South Park. Yeah. You know, that's it. Yeah. I think that's just the smart thing to do is just create South Park. Right. Why didn't they think of that? Why didn't anyone else think about just creating South Park? It's such an easy road to success. If you're on Comedy Central, you either have a mega hit on your hands or you are canceled. Those are the two business strategies that they have. And I don't know. I mean, I, I've talked to like actors on some of the shows I've worked for that uh, like I worked with a guy that was on the show review with Andy Daly and I asked him why it ended so abruptly because their season three was only like three episodes and he basically was like, oh, you know, Andy had other opportunities and Comedy Central doesn't pay anything. So he just wanted to wrap the story up and move on, which completely makes sense because anything good on Comedy Central dies or it sticks around forever long enough to see itself become the villain i don't know south park's pretty good this season i wouldn't say it's the villain it has it, come back yeah but it was tough for a bit there oh yeah although all of the specials that they released during the pandemic it was like one special was great the other one was blah then one was great then one was blah you know and that's kind of how they are yeah but when they're on they're on that andy daly comment though reminded me of another thing that was happening in 2019. And that was the start of the 2020 campaign too. Right. So what did Jordan Klepper get famous from? He got famous from covering Trump rallies and those were starting back up again in earnest towards the end of 2019. I'm sure that the daily show kind of lured him back to, you know, tackling those opportunities and, covering that beat again because that gets hits that is something that has proven to be a compelling offer for people and if he's off doing shows about other issues he doesn't have time to do those pieces that he has become famous for 
Yeah, and I'm sure that, you know, he got a much better deal the second time around and was able to make more money, and it was worth it. Yeah, so who's the real winner? Probably him. He seems to be doing okay. And Andy Daly. He's always working. Yeah, right. God love him. God love him. So many pancakes. So little time. Pancakes Divorce Pancakes is one of the greatest episodes of television (laughs) of all time. Review episode three. Look it up, people. Uh, Before we finish up this review, uh, any lingering thoughts that you wanted to bring up? Uh, Yeah, I just thought it was cool that in the Native American representation episode, uh, he interviewed now Congresswoman Deb Holland, I believe is her name. And she was along with another woman that year, they were both the first female Native American Congresswoman ever. Yeah. Um, And he interviewed her at a very interesting time because they went to her house and she was moving to DC. So mid interview, he's helping her pack her house up to move. And I have to think that that wasn't a gimmick. Like really she was like, I'm too busy to interview. I'm packing. And uh-huh. he must've been like, well, I'm in town. How about we just help you pack and we can talk. Yeah. Let's stuff these dishes into this tub and uh, talk about why DC, like, why is that the place for change? That was one of the funniest, not funniest. That was one of the most like political humorous twist my mustache and giggle lines of the whole show was he's like, if you wanted to affect change, then why go to Congress? Boing! <laughs> it actually was a pretty funny line, but he knew that's what he was doing. Yeah, exactly. He knew he was writing a caption for the New Yorker, but, you know, it works. Exactly. Uh, any final thoughts for you, John? Guns are scary. And, you know, watching another episode about how open carry stuff is happening in Texas scares me. I mean, there was the one interview that Jordan had with here it is a kid, a thirteen-year-old kid, Ugh. who was just holding a gun around, like you know, was sitting down, had a big ass rifle laying across his lap, and Jordan's like, "What you got there?" And the kid's like, "It's an AR something. I think it's a 15. Uh, and Jordan's like, have you, do you have any training on that? He's like, oh, no, no, I don't. But I think it's important to, and then he just, you know, regurgitates the same, you know, nonsense line about how we need to, you know, have our rights and I can be the person that in exchange, I'm the good person with the gun. But again, you're a 13-year-old boy who is carrying around a freaking killing machine. You will obviously no training, not clearly do any good. He's talking about. Oh, my God. And incensed me and it scared me and we keep having mass shootings. It drives me absolutely crazy because there is nothing that is being done. And we keep giving these weird kids in red shirts. Oh my God. Well, and then, you know, talk about all the time that he was a bit ahead of the curve. You know, it gave me a bit of Kyle Rittenhouse vibes. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, and uh, it was, I'm the one that's going to go there to make peace with my freaking gun. Well, and what the kid said too was, well, if we don't, there's, there's just going to be chaos, you know? And you can tell he just, 
He has no idea what he's saying. He just likes holding a gun and his parents told him to. It's really bizarre and really sad and really scary. Um, So, you know, watch it, I guess. It's It's on on Paramount Plus. Yeah, (laughs) it's it's really good and it's really easy to watch. Give it a go. Yeah. I mean, that was probably the quickest less than four hours worth of TV that we've watched on this show. Mm-hmm. You know, where like other shows like, you know, I love Modoc, right? But even that, like, it's a dense show. Oh, it's yeah. very uh it's like candy for your senses. You know, there's a lot going on. It still feels like I'm watching a lot of television when I sit down and watch ten episodes of Modoc. Klepper really it Klepper clipped along. along. Yes, I was thinking the same thing. Snap itty doo snappity day. Yeah. It's a dense show, too, but in a different way and just paced exceptionally well. Ian, where can people find us? Follow us at One and Done TV on Instagram, Twitter, Hive Social, Mammoth. Mastodon. Damn it. <laughs> no, it's Mammoth. No, it's no, it Mastodon. Mastodon. I know okay. it. Yeah. Uh, and YouTube Shorts. Uh, email us, oneanddonepod at gmail.com. Tell us why, um, you know, Klepper's not good, I guess, and why guns are great. Don't email us about why (laughs) guns are great. I don't care why you think guns are great. I don't think they are. And uh, we don't need to argue about it. You can listen to a different podcast about that if that's what you want to do. Type guns Um, into Apple Podcasts and you'll find something fun for yourself. Yeah. And uh, email us about, well, it was Michelle Wolf also one and done? Oh, yeah. We got to talk yeah. about that one. Yeah. And then, but H- Hassan Minaj, he lasted longer. Right? Yeah. Patriot Act Although, was multiple. Right. But they might have done something weird with Netflix where it's like part one, part two. And you're like, why isn't it called a season? And why is each part seven episodes? Like, this doesn't make any sense. I've already looked into it. It's multiple seasons. Is it season one, season two? Yeah, I think so. Mm, okay. But you know what I'm talking about? Like, I do. Like with Dave Chappelle's specials or something. Yeah. You're like, what is this grouping that you've made up? Um, So uh, follow us, email us. Please review us. Review us. It helps. It helps. It helps. It helps. And we will be back next week talking about another ill-fated show from a High-profile name at the time, the Dana Carvey Show. Woo! Sketching it up. Yeah, Uh, early Stephen Colbert and Steve Carell. Yeah. In the meantime, oh, yeah, there's that other Daily Show connection. Look at that. Hey, look at us. We found threads. Well, I'm going to thread myself out of this podcast. I pulled this thread too much, and now my shirt is just two sleeves. Brought to you by Lack of Hustle Media.